Hi there, I'm Salima Noon. I'm a sexual health and empowerment educator based in Vancouver, Canada, and welcome to Growing Up Game Plan, the podcast. Growing Up Game Plan is a six-week online masterclass for preteens on being more confident, more prepared, and less stressed as they navigate life. We created this podcast to support you parents to do the same. You're in the right place if you want to understand what preteens struggle with. You want to be proactive and stay one step ahead of teen angst. You want to have or keep having meaningful conversations with your preteen about growing up. And you're looking for concrete, easy to implement tips on what to say and do. We don't have all the answers, but we want to support you in all of these goals. Parenting preteens is no joke. And sometimes you just got to call in for backup. That's us. So let's do this. Hello, listeners. I am so excited to talk to our guest today. I'm with Lindsay Seeley, who is CEO of Bold New Girls, a teaching and coaching company for girls and young women and their parents, teachers and caregivers. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Maybe we can start by you just telling listeners a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis and what you what, what got you into the work that you do. Yeah, so I'll start with the second one. I, my background is in education, and I spent years in a private tutoring center, and I loved it. I really did. I spent oh, 14 years there and uh, had so many wonderful conversations with kids, and I guess most notably were the conversations I was having with girls, and it was just mind-blowing to me. That, like They were so beautiful and talented and smart, yet they didn't see it in themselves. And Mm -hmm. as I shifted professionally out of that job and just got really honest with myself, like, what, what are my dreams? Like, what do I really want to do? And just girl empowerment just kept coming up. And I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to stay in the education track only. So I combined educational growth and support with just personal growth. And those conversations, I think, just really inspired me. It's like, these girls are amazing. Why don't they know it? And, you know, that's many of our stories. And I thought my part in empowering them and teaching them, yes, the school skills and life skills, but also just how to feel good. At the end of the day, we want them to be happy, healthy, balanced, confident, all that good stuff. And so that's how I got into um, this idea of creating Bold New Girls. And my day-to-day is just jam-packed, honestly. It's a lot of one-on-one teaching with the girls. And and as I told you, I'm, I'm always writing, so I'm well into my third book now. And then oh, wow. Just, I, I think, didn't know that. Yeah. yeah awesome. um, thank you. It's, I guess, the third in this series. And this is one to, um, to empower young women as they transition into quote unquote adulting. And, um, and I just do a lot. I think with a company, you're, I, I personally find I'm just always designing and creating, whether that's social media or blog posts or, you know, courses and all these ideas. And I think they all just work together. It's like this orchestra and there's always something to do, but each one affects the other and influences the other. And for me, it's just so exciting. I sometimes can't sleep. It's just my day to day. It's just like always different and always pretty, pretty darn good. You know, I think we both are so fortunate to do work that we love so much and feel so passionate Mm -hmm. about. I think we entered the field around the same time time back in, well, over 20 years ago, let's say, Um, as you know, I started our iGirl empowerment workshops. And back then, 
I mean, social media wasn't a thing. We were talking to girls about resisting being impacted by Photoshop pictures in beauty magazines. I mean, that was really the focus of our conversations. But now the stakes are just so much higher with social media and just not being able to escape from the incessant images that tell us as girls and women how we have to look and how we have to be and how we have to act. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in my work, I've noticed that these pressures have changed over time since I started. And I'm wondering if your experience is the same. Yeah, definitely. I think I was thinking this morning, you know, there, there's no off button. There's no down time where we're just, we're just being, we're just there. Right. And I think you and I both grew up with that. Like, obviously there was times where we were maybe on a computer typing or sending, mm-hmm. sending yeah. you know, an, e- an email a day is how I, well, girl, that's how I started. And it really looked like that's a letter. Right. Um, but now it's just so much harder when um, obviously we're digitally, digitally dependent, but I think, yeah, I think it's, I think the pressures, you know, to look good and to, to perform and achieve, I think they've always been there. I just think of it like now it's intensified because now we have this thing in our hands or in our back pockets that's constantly reminding us of who we should be and what we need to keep up or who are and what we need to keep up with. And that all began in, I guess, Instagram was like 2010. So of course there's going to be a radical shift and and the world has just changed. It's busy and faster and there's just more, more, more. And that's incredibly exciting. Like we have this world of yeah. possibilities, but with that comes obviously more, more pressure and more stress. And it's just, like you said, it's in their faces every single moment, unless we can teach yeah. them to step away, at least take those pauses. Right. But it's just, oh, I guess every generation says like, oh, I would never want to you know, girl today. <laughs> I don't know if I could have done it either. I am not. Uh, that I feel like, yeah, it would be so much harder than we were when we were growing up. And it's right. so much harder to parent as well. I mean, my stepdaughters are now 22 and 24. Oh, and wow. even in my situation, parenting back then when they were entering their preteen years was much, much different. There wasn't nearly as much pressure. And so, yeah, a big piece of both of our work, Lindsay, is to support mm-hmm. parents and other adults with kids and teenagers in their lives to help young people make sense of what's in front of them, which we know isn't easy. What are some of the things that parents tell you about in terms of what they're struggling most with in supporting their girls? I think the struggle, whether it's boys or girls, I think the struggles that parents tell me about are almost always the same. And that is, how do I, how do I connect? So Mm -hmm. with the rise of of digital dependence, I think is much more, um, much more of a break in connection. So we'll notice if, if anything, girls are attached to their phones, boys too, I think in in lots of cases or devices or, or gaming and, and that's their go-to versus a conversation. So I think parents, especially around pre-puberty and puberty, they feel like they lose their kids. So their kids are spending more time in their rooms, more time on their devices. And the conversations that are so, so crucial just aren't happening. So Mm -hmm. the question is, how do I connect? How do I connect now when she is lost in social media world? No. And so- And and how can parents- 
how can parents prevent losing their kids? I mean, when does this connection need to start? Yeah, I think in terms of prevention, <laughs> I think obviously change always begins with us. And so it's so funny to me when parents like literally are holding their phones in their hands, looking through their, let's say email or Facebook saying to their daughters and sons, we really need to connect. Uh, we really need to talk, like get off your phone. And I'm thinking, <laughs> hold on, hold on, wait, this is like irony of ironies. Like what? let's all just decide for five minutes to put our phones down and let's have a real conversation. So I think our, our best tool in connecting with our kids is time. You know, it's our number yeah. one resource, time, time, time. And that's time not being on a device time, doesn't even have to be, you know, face-to-face conversation, just doing things, just being out in that real world and amazing conversations can flow from that. But that has to be intentional. If you That's right. wait to have, if you wait to have time, you're just going to be waiting. Who has time? Nobody. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. so busy. So if we start to be intentional about carving out that time where we can connect and maybe connecting in in new ways based on where where your son or daughter are at, but I think that it's, it's number one, just time, 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 creating memories. I couldn't memories. agree more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in my work with parents, I try to help them understand the importance of teaching these good habits and having distance between you and your phone at any age, starting mm-hmm. early, right? And also we as parents need to look at ourselves, as you said, to make sure that we're we're good role models for them. How can we expect our kids to separate from their phones if we can't, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even in my personal life, I definitely, and even though my girls are now young adults, I definitely feel myself being more aware of my own phone use when they're around because I don't want them to think that I'm asking something of them when I'm not willing to do it myself, right? Right. And, and even if we have our phones down, I think we have to watch our thoughts. So I can have a great conversation with someone and be thinking about that response to the email or what I have to do for work. And I think it's really, oh, it's so hard, right? To practice that presence, but to be there really listening because they will feel it even if they don't know it, you know, yeah, your phone's, phone's down, but are you really in this conversation? Are you really showing up? And that is maybe the most difficult work, I think, for all of us. So really being present in that conversation and not being distracted by the million other things, you know, the other balls you've got in the air, right? Right. So starting early, modeling good habits when it comes to being on your phone, creating opportunities for connection with your kids. Mm -hmm. What else can parents do early on? to keep these conversations going as our kids get older. Right. I think, well, then we get to the, you know, the real nugget, which is the types of conversations we want to have. Right. And I think we all fall into the trap of nagging, telling them what to do, keeping it about logistics. Did you do your homework, make your bed? How many times do you tell you? Oh, (laughs) it's so easy. Right. And we think, oh, we're connecting. We, we talked all day. What do you mean? not the kind of conversations that they need, not the kind of conversations that, that they want. And so I think back to the, the idea of intention, I think we need to create um, opportunities for conversation. So that's based on, you know, activities, um, device-free, but I think really um, being aware of that safe space. Like if I wrote about this in, in my second book, Rooted, Resilient, and Ready, but 
it's this idea I call um, periphery parenting. So we're on the edge, let's say, of their circle as they become more independent and, and as they grow. And it's our job to, to create such a safe space where they, they feel that we see them and we hear them and we accept them as they are. And we're just there so excited to support them and encourage them and listen to them. Mm-hmm. listen mm-hmm. to them because there's so much inside of them. And if we're, if we're coming into this circle with judgment and criticism and, and that nagging, I, I don't think anyone would feel safe. To no say, wonder why they shut I'm, down. Right. I'm having a really hard day. I'm struggling with my friendships. I feel like I'm falling behind. I don't feel good about my body. Like these are the conversations they want to tell us, right? These are the kinds of things that are on their hearts and minds. And so it's really this idea of creating that safe space. And we do that with our presence. And we do that with activities that aren't necessarily hard. Like we're, we're just having fun. We're just hanging out. And I think often it's smart for us to follow their interests. So whatever they want to do, we'll just, we'll let them be the leader. And I think really entering these conversations with a whole lot of curiosity. I'm just wondering, I'm just curious. Yeah. You tell me more about way. that. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your day. Like we need to put the criticism <laughs> on the shelf and just have that open curiosity. And I think another power tool is just empathy. It is so hard to grow to change in a million ways all at one time in this very like intense world of of so much change. Mm -hmm. And I think we just need to understand that number one, it's hard. And number two, they are doing their best. They are trying. I have yet to meet a kid who isn't trying to get it right and they are failing. And so if we're there in that safe space and we're curious and compassionate and we're showing them empathy, we're going to get the good stuff. Like this is the stuff that connects us. And this is what, honestly, they truly want it. We just don't necessarily um, create these opportunities where they feel free and safe to share. And we need to put the problem solving on the shelf too, right? As parents, we're often quick to, oh my gosh, you're having trouble with your friends. Well, let's just do something about that. How about this? How about that? How about this? Can I help, Mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes they just, what they need from us most is just to be heard and for Mm -hmm. um, them to be validated. And that can bring connection too, because then they feel that they can come to us without us butting in and trying to make it better. Sometimes they don't want us to make it better for them, right? They just want to be heard. Yeah. And I think of it as, as being a mirror. So if you were their mirror and they're saying they're sad and you're just reflecting back, so like, tell me about this sadness. I'd love to hear more. Or you know what? Your sadness totally makes sense. That is an appropriate emotion. And they learn to trust themselves. I think when we solve their problems, we actually cause more irritation and frustration. <laughs> they didn't get the chance to figure it out themselves, which could be the best way to grow their confidence. And right? also in doing so, if we try to solve all their problems, we're sending the message unintentionally, of course, mm-hmm. that we don't believe in them to have the agency needed to solve their own problems. Right. So I think a big part of it is just stepping back and, and of course, intervening when necessary, but giving our kids a chance to figure it out on their own with our support, with us cheering them on. I think that might be the hardest thing for, well, for myself and maybe for you and parents is (laughs) to let them struggle. Right. 
to actually see this is hard for them. And, oh, if I could just encourage parents to note, note that, like, I know this is uncomfortable. I know this is hard for you. I know this is you're struggling. And yet through this, you will become stronger and more resilient, but to watch them really suffer and not think I know exactly what to do. Let me just do it. Like I've done this a million times and think, no, wait, that's disempowering. That is the the wrong, the wrong way to go. But actually I have to say not always, because we do obviously have some situations where they need us to take over. Um, they need us to solve their problems. And I've just learned to ask them, do you want me to listen and give you that empathy? Or do you want me to give you some of my insights and wisdom? Cause yeah, I got wisdom. I'm older than you and have just more life experience. And sometimes, sometimes they choose. So I guess as the parent, that's just following your spidey sense. What's best. And let them take the lead, right? Yeah. Let them tell you, but asking, if anyone asks you like what you want, doesn't that feel pretty great? And then you're deciding and you're like, oh yes, problem solving today, please. Cause I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, But a little struggle I think is is good. So Lindsay, you have, your your company is Bold New Girls and then you also have created Brave New Boys. I have, yeah. And, you know, I'm, as you know, until recently, we had iGirl empowerment workshops and iGuy empowerment workshops that we provided to grades four through seven students in schools. And, you know, for me, it was always a dilemma having, you know, just the, the binary nature of the programs, because I felt that the issues facing boys today in our binary world are quite different from the issues facing girls today. But there are so many similarities as well. Mm, very true. What's your experience been with that? Well, I'm glad you said you struggled because I did too. And I think when you're starting your business, people always say the same thing. Find a niche. And I was like, okay, fine. Girls. Girls is my niche. Empowerment's my niche. And yeah. then I felt terribly guilty. You know, I'd get a little brother of a girl I was working with or, or neighbor or whatever. And I think do I take on a boy? And I just decided, honestly, Selena, just let the rules go. Of course, I'll take a boy because they need me too. And I just started about 25% of my business is actually boys and men, like some young men. And I just, I decided just to be me. Like if that's what's needed, then I'll, I'll go for it. I connect as well with boys as I do with girls. It's just different sometimes. But like you said, mm-hmm. there are so many similarities. Boys still struggle with you know, emotional expression and they have stressors too, and they struggle with changes and body image. And, and it's strange what's happened that I just read this the other day. I le- I'm going to steal this phrase, but the author of this book called decoding boys, which is fantastic. She was saying, you know, around puberty girls get the microphone. We give them the microphone, they're on the stage and they're talking about their changes and their feelings and their experiences and what it's like to be a girl going through these stages. And it's like, where are these boys? Because as girls get the microphone and we empower them, I do feel like our boys are slipping away. Boys get quiet. And I think as a result, we say things like they're easier to parent because they're quiet. And that is true in a sense. But that's not to say boys don't need to have conversations too. That boys well, aren't yeah. going through a lot of stuff all at the same time. It's just maybe the conversations are a bit different, but they're so necessary. So, but I just, you know, I like them equally. <laughs> just, yeah, I bet <laughs> they're good. They're <laughs> great. 
what's difficult is that gender stereotypes that are still alive and well for our kids today have taught boys that they shouldn't speak up they sh in terms of challenges they're facing or struggles they're having because in boy world, that's not cool. That's like you're weak if you ask for support. And so a lot of those stereotypes I think are still in play. Whereas girls, we've been taught that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be vulnerable like that, right? Mm -hmm. The definition is different depending on who you're talking to. But sure. tell me, what is it like working one-on-one -on -one with boys? And is it different than working one-on-one -on -one with girls? That's a good question. For me, it's a little harder to enter boy world. Like with girls, it, it's quite easy. I mentioned hair, makeup, social media. There we go. We start talking just like, just like we're friends. And it, it's very easy with boys. It takes me time. I find that they aren't as verbal or naturally social. And so I just have to figure, I have to really, um, think about what matters to them. So I'm obviously now asking them about their gaming and like <laughs> what they do with friends and like what, you know, what's on their mind and, and things that they do for fun, sometimes more physical activities and, and just, I don't know. I, I feel like it takes me a little bit more time, but then once I'm in and you notice they're comfortable, they can talk as much or if not more than girls. And like, so what do they go tell you about? Well, <laughs> they tell me lots. They, they tell me that they're very aware that they can spend too much time alone. They're very aware that their social skills might be lacking. They're aware that um, sometimes they feel like they're falling behind at school. So I think there, there are these pressures, especially as girls rise. Um, they tell me about their annoying parents are nagging them to come, come out of their rooms. Um, do they feel pressure so, from their parents? Yeah, I do. I do feel like, I think they feel pressure to talk. And I think that that's one of the things that we all struggle with. They want to talk, but how, how do we, how do we get, get in? And I think oftentimes when it gets awkward, parents just feel awkward and they stop. And I would say, you know what, it's going to be awkward more for him than for you. But just can't we stay in the awkward? Can't we stay in the silence? Can't we be? And maybe a boy doesn't want eye contact and he doesn't want the face-to-face -face conversation. That's just not his strength. But can we go do something? Can you go game with him or text him or whatever you need to do and try to have some of that side chat, right? Can we talk to boys about the fact that, yeah, they're supposed to man up and not cry, but they do have feelings? And I think, I see, I think I work with all the sensitives, right? I must attract them. And then I think, wait, they're probably all sensitive. They're just taught not to be. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. I think over time through these conversations, I realize just how sensitive they are. And I think, isn't this a good thing? And so then I can, I can obviously validate that and say, of course, you don't need to show it to your guy friends. If you don't want to, you can, you can keep it to yourself, but when it comes out, wow, is that ever magical? I love it. Yeah. And just, yeah, because so it just takes more time. It takes they me more just, time. Right. Because they've been taught to bottle up their emotions and not talk about them openly. So in terms of connecting with their kids, do parents of boys need to do that in a different way? I mean, I know that they may prefer side to side talk. They may prefer to talk while doing an activity. Any other tips that you give parents that are parents of boys that are different from parents of girls? 
I mean, at the end of the day, I think we can just ask them like, like, what do you, what do you want to do? And a lot of times it is gaming. So I just encourage that balance of like, yes, let's meet them in virtual world, but let's also go do stuff because when they're out, um, whether that's, I don't know, even just, you know, switching from zoom to going back to school, they are happier. I've noticed a big shift this semester and, yeah. and maybe you have too. It's like, oh, they're smiling. And I think they actually, they're so, um, many of them are so hands-on. So why aren't we teaching skills, teaching them to cook and to clean and to, you know, play around with cars and, and get, just get out there. I think the physical engagement is so great for them. Um, many of them I feel have just like gone inwards in their room mm -hmm. in their gaming. And it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not necessarily supporting mental health. So let's get yeah. them out. But I think in terms of conversations, I think activity first conversation second, but I would just say, just don't give up. If you're, if your son is quiet, that does not mean he doesn't want to talk. It means he doesn't know how, and there's such a big right. difference. Right. Right. Now let's go back to social media. As you know, there's been some talk about how, you know, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram, you know, that their platforms are or can be damaging, damaging to the mental health of kids and, and even adults who use them. What are your thoughts on that? And does this impact all kids? Most of the kids I work with are very immersed in social media. Every so often I meet the unicorns and I think, gosh, you're so amazing. <laughs> you don't use this platform. And they are, they do seem happier. They do seem to have more balanced mental health, um, but they, they are definitely the exceptions. So yeah, I think it's having a huge impact on stress and anxiety and perfectionism and what's called comparisonitis. And at the end of the day, just, just feeling not good enough. Right. Yeah. So there's and I this... don't think this is an issue specific to girls. I think all kids are impacted by this. Would you, agree? I think all kids, I think girls do spend more time on social media, which makes sense to me because of their brain development. They, they are naturally more um, social. So I think, and I think boys are gaming more than, I guess gaming would be social media too. Cause that's how they're chatting with friends, right. Through these games. But I think, yeah, I think we could say all kids are being impacted girls, just maybe a little bit more for um, time-wise. But I think that it's interesting because girls know back to the beginning about talking about Photoshop, Photoshopping and editing, they know it's fake and yet they're still looking and they're still influenced and they're still emulating. So we still have a problem, even though they have the information, right? Because yeah. of the volume of pictures that they're seeing. So they can know, but they feel like they have to keep up. They feel like they have to look like what they see. They feel like they have to post in the same way that everyone's posting. They feel, I think, tremendous pressure to have a platform, whether that's just, you know, an Instagram account or, or Snapchat, um, or it's actually self-promotion. I feel they're feeling like that's the way to be successful. So I have to do it. Yeah. And that's so it's a lot. It is a lot. And so how do parents even... How can parents mitigate that negative impact? I mean, we know that social media is, is part of our kids' lives. How can we right. have conversations with our kids about this? I do a lot of work with prevention. So let's say before they get their phone, I think we're 
or I'm encouraging parents just to have these conversations about um, let like let's get ready for it. And in in terms of getting ready, we need to teach them to be smart. You know, not putting too much personal information or location settings up um, on their on their platforms. But I think also really savvy. Like they have more control than I think they know. So let's teach them the difference. Let's say between I don't know, a safe website and a not so safe one or good friends and like, picking, you know, including people on their, on their feeds that, that are, are good, like not necessarily strangers and not necessarily mean girls or bullies. And, and if they encounter these negative experiences, can we empower them with what to do? Can we teach them that you can easily mute or delete or block Absolutely. or report? Like, let's get them feeling like, wait, I'm on my phone. Let's have them be time aware. How much time am I on my phone? Um, can we make homework and, and real life a priority? And can we teach them that when things go awry, like they know what to do. They know what yeah. doesn't feel good. They know when someone's yeah. hurting them or is out to get them or ghosting them or all these things that are creating, gosh, so much drama, so much stress. Can we really empower them? And and we have these conversations before, so they feel ready. So they're not as surprised or blindsided. And what's interesting is this experience they're having on social media is also by themselves. So this is why I like to say, if you're on your device, let's have it be not in the bedroom, common areas, please. Right. Because how scary and lonely is that when someone's mean to you and your parents aren't home and you don't know what to do. And there you are yeah. by yourself. So yeah. just having it be a little bit more, let's say, um, public or or in the open and then because sometimes they feel like they screw up and they don't want to tell their parents and they're fearing judgment maybe we can create some some support circles so people that they can turn to if something goes wrong like maybe we can have that conversation beforehand so if you can't see or talk to me or I'm not home who can you reach out to that can help yeah. you navigate this thing this experience right and we have these conversations before so they're ready we create you know social situation or social um situation where we can say like what would you do in this case and, and I think what you said about empowering them to recognize what's happening and notice how what they're seeing makes them feel I mean, that's key because they, they can have the agency to make the decisions from them for themselves when they're on social media. Lately, I've been spending a lot of time with my students talking about how we all have the power to curate our social media feeds really carefully so that they mm -hmm. are a supportive and happy and uplifting place to be. And like you said, yeah, if someone is bullying or making you feel crappy, have the agency to unfollow them or mute them so that when you are on social media, I mean, there's no perfect solution, but at least when you are on social media, mm -hmm. you're seeing people who make you laugh and who mm -hmm. are a positive part of your life. So just helping them to do what they can to create a positive experience for themselves, I think is so important. And it can be amazing, right? Like I think of okay, my most positive times on social media is like, I see something and I get an idea, or I feel inspired, or I think, wow, they're doing something great. I'm not jealous. I'm going to follow that. Like, what a what an awesome idea. Or I read a story and I'm like, good for them. Or yeah, me too. Like I've had that same yeah. experience. Or, I think or there's someone such a great, who great opportunity. 
yeah, someone who's, you know, if you see something and, and, you know, they think, oh, you can think, well, there's someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously, you know, or there's someone who's not afraid to laugh at themselves or show, you know, what a crap show their life really is. So encouraging kids to be authentic and inspire others to do the same, I think is, is really That's actually a good too. point. And I have noticed a bit of a shift. So it's a little bit less about this perfect feed and it's becoming this real feed. And I'm like, you know, you can, you can influence social media in that way too. Like, can you show up as your real self? So every so often, can you post, you know, the photos that <laughs> wouldn't make the highlight real or the ones mm-hmm. where, you know, your face doesn't look perfect, but God, it's good enough. And maybe that's, instead of saying, you know, hopefully someday that will change. It's like, well, why don't you be the change? Why don't you start that? And other people will see that. And then that's how change happens. Right. And we're all Love it. real. Right. And I say social media is here to stay. I, I mean, there's it. no banning it isn't a solution. Exactly. Exactly. And the parents that are having trouble um, connecting, I say, you know, I know this is not ideal and it's not what you want, but can you please use social media to your benefit? Can you learn these apps? Can you text your children? Can you follow them on their TikTok? Whatever it is, like jump into that world and just see what happens. Because if you meet her there, yes, if you meet her there, number one, you understand it. And it's a heck of a lot of fun. It really is. And number (laughs) two, you might, well, you'll get to know her if you're following her, but you might um, just make a different connection. That connection could lead to to what you want, which is probably more of a real-time conversation. But if we're, if we're going to start somewhere and we know social media is not going, can we just use it, use it for our advantage? And that can be such a positive experience too. Yeah. And same, and same with boys, for, right? Just yeah, play, I mean, play video kids, games with them, do whatever. We can't forget that there are a lot of positive things associated with social media right? I think it's, it's oh, easy to focus on the negative, but even things as an adult that I've noticed this newer wave of body positivity or body neutrality, um, that can be very, um, a, a very positive influence in a young person's life. Right. Or, or seeing other, other races well, other than white. Like, it's like very nice that we're now a little, I want to say a little bit more aware of inclusivity, So if we can see biracial and we can see black and we can see Asian and Indian and Sri Lankan and all kinds of people, aren't you going to feel a little bit more normal if you are a minority or a marginalized person? So I think that's really positive too. It's like, yeah, so more and more what we can see see themselves. Yeah. All shapes and sizes and, and all, um, all ethnicities and just all different life experiences. So in a way, That's really positive. I did have an interview years back and you were talking about, you know, social media was bad, basically was the message. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think back to that time. Okay. Okay. That was a little bit um, maybe naive or or whatever. It was my experience at the time, but one, one interviewer did ask me or tell me rather that her daughter is painfully shy and social media was the only, only opportunity for her to be social. And I had not even thought about that. I thought that's exactly it. This is for the shy people, the sensitive people, the quiet people who maybe wouldn't talk to you in person, but they're super chatty on their social media platforms. And again, is it ideal? No, they do still have to learn in-person social skills. But if that's Mm -hmm. their, their entry point, go for it. 
They're obviously doing it for a reason. It's safer for them and it's working. And, you know, I just never thought about that, but I I grew, I learned from her and that, and that was great, but it's, it's positive for uh, social skills building too. Yeah. So the goal for parents is to keep the good stuff in their kid's life when it comes to social media and mitigate the risk of some of the not so good stuff. Right. And, and part of that is having mm-hmm. balance, you know, and, and that goes back to teaching good habits where our kids aren't completely reliant on their phones and feel lost when they're not in front of them to be able to put the phone down and have real life face-to-face interactions. So it really is about that balance, right? So that social media is more of a positive influence than anything. That's the, that's the goal anyway, getting there is not easy. I do feel that it's, it's their default or I should say all of our defaults. Like if we're having a bad day, like how, how easy it is, is it just to pick up our phones, right? And just to get whatever, like a, a little dopamine, um, <laughs> a dopamine. But often of, that's the worst thing we can do. Oh, it is. But I think that that's what I mean. It's like our default, but that's not what we really need. We really yeah. want to like process our feelings. We really want to talk it out. We really want to be with someone. So maybe the the call to action for all of us is can we, can real time conversation be priority and to make it priority. It goes back to the beginning of our conversation. We have to put our phones down. We have to make the time we have to cultivate some of those rhythms, right? Like every night we are going to check in with each other for half an hour, or let's start a mother daughter journal. Like I love these ideas that are coming out or let's have, you know, meal time together at least three times a week. Maybe we're not hitting, you know, all seven days, which is fine. But I think that if we can compete with technology and be creative and I want to say strategic about it, I think it's not going to be their default because as much as they think it's, it's what they need, it can cause so much more stress. It can compound yeah. it exponentially. That's not what we want. I know that. Yeah. Love that. Compete with social media. That's what we need to compete. do. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be so well, creative though. <laughs> We better wrap up soon, but would you mind just telling us a bit more about the new book you're writing? Oh yeah, of course. So we're getting closer to the end point here, but I really felt that the, okay, the little girls that I wrote about in Growing Strong Girls became teenagers for the second book, uh, Rooted, Resilient and Ready. And then I had to decide what to do next. And I was thinking, you know, these little girls that I'm with are now, you know, 19, 20, 21 what happens? It's a very interesting phenomenon. I think we're putting expectations on them to just know what to do. Well, now you're an adult, you figure it out. And in a way that's a little bit unfair because how, how do they know? So I felt like there was sort of this void in, in support of supporting development. And I thought, you know what, it would be great if there was a book that we could, um, sorry, it would be great if I wrote a book <laughs> where we could just go through some of this life stuff. And the way I f- I'm framing the whole book is about the philosophy or lifestyle really of more and less. So if you want more of something like the good stuff, the confidence and the bravery and the, the connection and the, the power, then you're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to have less fear and insecurity and unhealthy relationships and let's make space for the more and how do we do that so it's really about amazing I love that seven topics where we can support them because some of them are fine of course they are but some of them aren't and I think they're feeling a little bit more stressed to you know have it all sorted when how how could they know 
how, how do they have clarity or know what's next for them? Especially since mm-hmm. obviously we have more choices and, and the world keeps changing. So I just wanted to really support them and obviously have them feel, feel strong and good and bold and bright and just basically be the next change makers. Like we got to empower these girls because awesome. We need it. And we it takes need, a village. It takes <laughs> a village. It takes a village and then some, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're doing such important work, Lindsay, and please Thank keep us so posted much. on your new book. Sure. Um, and you. of course, where could listeners get your previous two books? Um, I think the best place is always Amazon. It's also on Audible as audio recordings. And then they can always go to my website, lindsayseeley.com. And I have tons of like free handouts and, and things for them to, to you do. And I've seen them and myself. You. They're awesome Thank resources. You. Thank you so much. So I'll make sure that I include your website on, um, in our show notes, but okay, if you don't perfect. mind, Lindsay, can I ask you a final question before we wrap up? Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and this is a question that I ask all of my guests. Okay. I would like to hear if you had an opportunity what would you tell your preteen self? What do you wish you knew back then? So much. Wow. Um, I know, right? Where do you yeah. start? <laughs> That's how one I feel. Thing. I'll give you one thing, but I'm going to break it into a few pieces. I would just tell okay. myself to, um, to believe in myself. Because I think with that, I would have believed that I did I did know things. I did know who I was. I did know that I, I've always been creative. I've always been entrepreneurial, but that now took me 20 years to, you know, to come out of me, to know that, I don't know, I guess to believe that my wonderfully weirdness was such a positive thing and that my dreams were big, but they were so possible because I think it took me so long to actually get through the uncertainty, insecurity, the disbelief, um, just the, the hesitancy or, or the, the, the practice of just being small and holding back and just being afraid to, mm. to shine. And I think, gosh, if I just believed, then I would have just maybe got there a little sooner and faster, who knows? But I just, I think that probably fuels the work we both do. It's like, how had we only oh. known, but that's okay. We'll just teach it, teach it, teach it. And it was all yeah. for, for a good reason. Right. Believing in yourself. I, I mean, that's certainly a lesson I could have, I could have benefited from when I was right. a preteen. Yeah. Uh, I know lots of things we wish we knew, right? But Lindsay, exactly. thank you so much for joining me today. You are doing thank such you. important work. It does take a village. And I just, I, I'm so glad you could join me because I think you've really given our listeners some food for thought, some really good practical tips. And um, it's just, it's a process, right? We're all doing the best we can as parents. No one's perfect. And just, just creating those opportunities for connection with our kids, especially in real life is what it's all about. Yeah. Just keep trying, just keep trying differently and new and creative and it will work. It does. That's right. Well, thank you, Lindsay. Keep in touch. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today as well. I'll catch you in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Growing Up Game Plan, the podcast, where our goal is to support parents as they navigate the preteen trenches. Looking for more? Check out our newest program, Growing Up Game Plan. 
Growing Up Game Plan is a six-week online masterclass for preteens age 9 to 12-ish that sets them up to celebrate who they really are, to use their inner power to honor, manage, and express their emotions, to stay safe and have fun online, to come to terms with puberty, to stand up for themselves and what they believe in, and to foster healthy relationships. Growing Up Game Plan gets your preteen thinking and reflecting on things that matter. We give you peace of mind and they learn skills they can use for a lifetime. And we help you both learn to have meaningful, open conversations moving forward. Go to www.salimanoon.com if you'd like to learn more about Growing Up Game Plan or to join our waitlist to be the first to know about when registration opens up next. We got you.